scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. morning and open up God's word with you. Greetings to those who are watching online. Uh, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, as Brett just read to us, we'll cover the first nine verses of chapter 3. I don't, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in this position before or, uh, or maybe had it happen to you, but have you ever had one of those kind of snap out of it moments? Like where either you've had somebody come to you and, you know, slap you in the face or throw water in your face or just, right? Yeah, I won't tell you who it is, but she lives with me. Um, but um, you get one of those shakes like, snap out of it. Get out of your fantasy world and come back to reality. You ever had one of those? And uh, and it's just like you're kind of you're living in this fantasy world and you're like hey you got to get out of there come back to the real world and interestingly enough is this is what is happening in chapter 3 of first corinthians is that paul is really in what he's going to say to the corinthians is shaking them and saying snap out of it what you think you are you are really not that way and you need to get back on track with that and so what paul has done so far in chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 2 verse 16 that we've covered so far is that Paul has been giving them the medicine to their divisions and their divisiveness, what we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. That's their big problem, divisions and divisiveness. So he said a number of things. He said, you know, be of the same mind. Uh, 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 follow the word of the cross. Follow the Christ crucified. Uh, emphasize the wisdom of God, that is Jesus Christ. Remember that you are chosen by God based on no ulterior motives or based on no uh, condition that you were in. Remember that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and that it is only by God opening up your eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ that you are who you are. And so all of these are the medicines to deal with their div division and divisiveness. Well, now he gets here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and after he's given the medicine, now he's given the diagnosis. Here is your problem. This is why you have divisions among you. And he says this. The reason you are divided is because you are spiritually immature. That's the reason you're divided among yourselves. Because you are spiritually immature and you have misunderstood the purpose and function of the servants of God. 
And so that'll be the point of this morning's message. Verses 1 through 9 is this. Spiritual immaturity can be due to misunderstanding the purpose of God's servants. Let's pray and ask God by His Spirit to work in us right now to open up our eyes to see what His Word has to say. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your incredible kindness and grace that You've shown us in Christ. I thank You for Your Word and how we need it so apart from it we cannot see. And apart from Your Spirit opening and illuminating, we cannot know. So God, I pray, work in us right now as as individuals and as the body of Christ here at Cross Point, that you would grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and that you would help us to fight off division, to fight off factions, to fight off cliques, to fight off any of these things that may separate us. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us. In Christ's name we pray. The first two things that we'll look at, or the first, the only two things that we'll look at today are two points. Is in the first four verses, we'll look at infants in Christ, infants in Christ. And then in verses 5 through 9, we'll look at servants of Christ. And so the first point of this is infants in Christ. Is that division is an indicator of spiritual immaturity. Have you ever had that person in your life that can say something really hard to you and say it with a smile on their face and in such a gentle tone? And it doesn't offend you. Like somebody can call you a horrible, terrible human being in such a nice tone and with a smile on their face. And you're not offended by it. You're like, oh, thank you. Man, I, I really needed to hear that. Right. You got that person in your life. Man, they can say some harsh things to you, but they say it with a smile on their face. You are a terrible person. And you need to know this about yourself. And they say it like, you're right. <laughs> like, you're so good. Well, this is what I think Paul is kind of trying to do here in the first couple of verses in First Corinthians, is that he's able to dish this very harsh rebuke to the Corinthians that they need to hear, but he does it with such a gentle and loving spirit about himself. Because he loves this, these people. He loves the Corinthians. And so, more or less, this is what Paul is doing here in the first four verses. He's issuing a much-needed rebuke to the Corinthians, but, he, but he's issuing it out of an affectionate and caring, concerning heart for their spiritual well-being. Look at this. It begins, but I, brothers, man, there's a lot right there. There's a lot right there. Is that before he issues his rebuke, he's, he's bringing it in a family context, in a sense. Brothers, sisters in Christ, because that's what you are. You are my family in Christ Jesus. And he said this a number of times already. He appeals to them in verse 10 of chapter 1. Brothers, he appeals to them the same way in chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, over and over again, when he appeals to them or he urges them or he rebukes them, he's doing it from a context, you are my church family. You are my family in Christ Jesus. You are the ones I love. And now I need to issue a very, a very heavy statement to you. Paul's rebuke is firm. But it's done from a heart of love in the context of a church family. He loves them. And so he speaks the truth to them. And sometimes it's firm. And sometimes it can be harsh. But the Corinthians need to know this about themselves. And what does he tell them this? He says, look, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants. Is that the Corinthians are believers, but they're acting and operating like unbelievers. He he recognizes that. Look at this. They are spiritual people. And we talked about that last week in 2, 6 through 16. 
is that spiritual people are the people who have God's spirit indwelling within them. God's spirit that has opened up their eyes to see the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ are spiritual people. And so the Corinthians here are being recognized that. Their position in Christ is that they are saved, they are Christians, they have the spirit of God dwelling in them. But they are not acting in accordance with their position in Christ. He says, you may have the spirit, you may be saved, you may be a follower of Jesus, but you're not acting like it. Look what he says. He says, he calls them a number of different things. He says, despite your spiritual position as spiritual people, he says, you are people of the flesh. You are infants in Christ. You are of the flesh. You are acting in human ways. You are merely being human. Over and over again, he's saying, yes, you are spiritual people, but you're acting in your fleshly desires. And if you remember in the Bible, there's this, there's this distinction between the spirit and the flesh. It's one that Paul brings up in the book of Romans over and over again. Is that there's this constant tension between our spirit and our flesh. Our flesh wants to do lots of sinful things, but the spirit that indwells us keeps us from that. Guards us from that. Keeps us from succumbing and giving ourselves over to the flesh. But this is what he's saying. He said, yes, you have the spirit. But man, you are succumbing to your fleshly desires over and over again. And you are acting like the world. You are acting like the world that does not have the spirit of God in them. That's their problem. And not only in this way that they're operating, they think they, they deserve more from Paul or that they can take more from Paul. He says this, you know, the reason uh, you're spiritual, and but you're acting as people of the flesh, and I came and I fed you with milk. I gave you the milk of the gospel of Christ Jesus. I fed you with these things. I, I, I let you eat from these things. I shared these things with you. The word of the cross I gave to you. But you say, you want solid food. And he says, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. They think themselves, the Corinthians think themselves to be adults and ready for solid food. But Paul says, you're not. You're not able to digest the milk that I've given you. You're immature. It would be similar to say, you know, if we're sitting at our dinner table, we have Jude, Grant, and Hayes sitting at our dinner table. And, uh, and we're eating, and, and Hayes, our nine-month-old, pipes up and says, give me a steak, Mom. Now, there would be a lot of problems right there. Not just with that, you know, a nine-month-old just said a complete sentence. Um, and that's his first complete sentence. Uh, which I guess I would be proud as a dad, now that I think about that. Give me a steak, Mom. Um, yeah, I'd be proud of that, Papa. Uh, but it would be crazy because, one, he said a full statement and that we've never heard. And, two, he's asking for something that he certainly is not able to digest, right? He's asking for a ribeye, 16-ounce, 32-ounce ribeye. Yes, there ain't no other way to eat it. And uh, But he can't take it, right? He can't chew it. The, Hayes doesn't even have teeth. But he thinks he can handle it, right? And this is what the Corinthians think. It's like Paul has given them the milk of the gospel, and they say, give us the solid food, give us the deep stuff. And what he's saying is, you are not even ready. By the way that you are operating and living in your lives, you cannot even eat anything more than milk. You are spiritually immature. You are babies. You are still wearing diapers when it comes to your position in Christ. You're not ready for those things. And that your spiritual immaturity always manifests itself. And remember this, Crosspoint. 
is that spiritual immaturity will always manifest itself. Spiritual immaturity cannot be concealed. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be suppressed. It will, spiritual immaturity will manifest itself in how you live. And the way that it's manifested itself in the life of the Christian is this, is that you are still of the flesh for a while there is jealousy and strife among you. He's going back to what he brought up in in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, the divisions that happened. Is that you fashioned yourself off again with Paul and Cephas and Apollos, and you created these groups around these people. He says, this is how your spiritual immaturity has manifested itself. You're creating factions and groups within the body of Christ. That is spiritual immaturity. That clearly says that you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, and you are not operating like you are in Christ Jesus. You are not operating like you have the Spirit. And that they should be a lot farther along than they are. Look at this. He says, e- and even now you are not yet ready. That And even now gives some indication that as long as it has been that you are in Christ Jesus, you should be at a very different place right now. And even now, you should actually be eating solid food. You should actually be wanting and getting more than you're getting right now. But you can't digest it. You should be growing more than you are right now. But what's halted them, what's stunted them, what's prohibited them from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ is this. It is their sin. Their factions, their squabbles, their, 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 their cliques, their, their, their divisiveness. It has stunted their growth. And even now, you should be farther along than you are, but I can't give you solid food. Because your sin, your patterns and lifestyles of sin is keeping you from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, their sin, their jealousy, their strife has diverted their attention away from growth in the gospel. It's diverted their attention away. So Paul is circling back around to this. He's getting back to the main problem that we're addressing here in the book of 1 Corinthians, and that's division. And ultimately, he wants to get down to the root of their division. Okay, what's the, pro- what's the real problem? Why is there divisiveness? Why is there jealousy? Why is there strife? Why is there envy all happening within the body of Christ? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you, it's this. It's you are spiritually immature people, and you are allowing this to overtake you. That's why. And so he wants to get back around to that one. But I think we can learn a couple of things from these four verses that I think are pretty relevant for us as a body of Christ here at Crosspoint. Is this, is that we learn something from Paul's rebuke in the book of Corinthians. Is that again and again, like we said, is that he is he addresses them as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And I think that we, we can learn a couple of things from that kind of address when he says hard things to you. Is that Paul demonstrates that rebukes can be firm. Rebukes can be firm. They can be truthful in content. But they also can be loving in tone. And ultimately, sometimes we get caught up on the first two, right? No, it's got to be harsh, and i got to tell the truth, and who cares how it's said, and who cares how it's done, and who cares the approach how it's taken. All that matters is I said it, and I said it right. Well, that's not how Paul handles rebuke. That's not how Paul does it. Paul says it firmly, says it truthfully, and he says it lovingly. And if there is an enjoyment that comes from you to cut people's legs out from underneath them, 
to really bash them down and say, hey, I told them the truth. That's all, that's all that I'm called to do. I told them the truth. And that, hey, hand, it's hands off. And you've missed the point. If, because our goal in rebuke should always be the restoration of the person. Should always be the growth and grace and sanctification of the person. And when we speak harsh rebukes to people without a loving tone and it's truthful in content, our goal is not, is not to restore the person and help them grow in Christ-likeness. It is actually to win. And our goal as Christians should not be to win and to make people feel small. It's to actually help them in our rebukes to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Paul is demonstrating that rebukes can be firm, they should be truthful in content, and they should be loving in tone. Listen to what Ray Ortland says really well. Dr. David actually sent me this, this quote. He says this, Truth without grace is harsh and ugly, but grace without truth is sentimental and cowardly. Let me say that one more time. Truth without grace is harsh and ugly. So if we if we present truth and it's not gracious, all it is is harsh and ugly. And if we if we present grace without truth, it's just sentimental. Sentimental and cowardly. But thankfully, the living Christ is full of grace and truth. He completely balances the two perfectly. As John 1 tells us, he is full of grace and truth. And that he gives us the best picture of what it means to rebuke firmly, to rebuke truthfully, and to rebuke lovingly. Across the room, when you are in your interactions with people within this context, divisiveness can come because we've rebuked somebody way too hard without love and without truth. I would, I would ask and plead with you, Continue to rebuke sin. Continue to rebuke sin and be firm in it. But do so truthfully and lovingly. The second is this, is that what Paul's trying to get at here with the Corinthians is the same point that I think we can take as a church as well. We send the wrong message to the unbelieving world around us when we call ourselves spiritual and we live as people who don't have the Spirit. We send the wrong message to to the world around us. We say, yeah, we have the Spirit. Yeah, we believe the Gospel. Yeah, we trust in Jesus Christ. And then we live out our fleshly desires. Is that that confuses the world. They don't know how to correlate that because they actually see the contradiction. And Paul is, Paul is bringing that out for them. Is that Don't you see the contradiction? You say you're spiritual, yet you live as people without the Spirit. And so we send the wrong message when we succumb to our fleshly desires. And yet we call ourselves spiritual people. Another thing is, is one that we need to consider thinking about is this. Maybe you over the course of a year, maybe over the course of five years, or over the course of months, is maybe you think, man, I feel like my spiritual growth has been stunted. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm growing as I should, growing in the grace and knowledge of the gospel. I don't feel like I'm bearing fruit like I should. I don't feel like I've grown in this area of my life. I don't feel like I've, uh, I've increased in this area of my life. Well, Paul is going to bring up this point and ask us this. Is your sin and your fleshly desires prohibiting you and stunting you from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? Because what is really easy for us when we're not growing like we should, when we're not bearing fruit like we should, is to say, it's their fault. It's their fault. They're not teaching me the right way. 
they're, they're not, they're not, they're not example, you know, they're not a good example for me. Oh, they're leading me astray, that person over there. Or they're not, they're doing this and they're doing that. Guess what? And we never ask the question, maybe there's something in my own personal life, sin particularly, that is stunting my own growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's very easy to blame other people, and it's very hard to take the blame for ourselves. Cross talk this morning. Let me ask you this. Evaluate yourself. Are you growing like you should be? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for one year or for 30 years. Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? And if you're not, I would ask you to ask yourself this question. Rather than point the finger at somebody else, consider maybe your sin is stunting your own pursuit of that success. Just like in jobs where lack of degree or maybe lack of experience in a job keeps you from being promoted because there's a ceiling there, that there might be a ceiling and that ceiling being sin, and it's not allowing you to get anywhere further than you should be. Because your infancy in Christ is due to your surrender to the gospel. Your infancy in Christ may be due to your surrender to the gospel. And that if you're trying to gauge, you know, okay, how do I know if I'm growing? Well, the scriptures... They gauge our spiritual growth. They, they give good criteria for how you're growing. You know, we read Galatians 5, we read the fruits of the Spirit and things like that. But I, I want to put it in two ga- categories. How do, how, do you, um, how do you gauge your spiritual growth? Well, one is individually. Okay, how am I doing in my own personal quiet times? How am I doing in prayer? How, am I putting this particular sin to death? Am I seeing anger kind of override me? Am I seeing lust kind of override me? Am I seeing greed kind of override me in these areas? You begin to think about individually, how am I individually doing? But I also think it's also on a corporate level, is how are we doing corporately together? Because here, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, their spiritual maturity is being gauged off of how they're interacting when they're together in the body of Christ. It's not only how I'm doing, but so let me give you an example. You could be saying, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. I've had a quiet time every single day this week. I've prayed three to four times each day this week. I, I'm, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm, I'm serving those people over here. I'm serving those people. And then you could be in the body of Christ causing havoc and chaos and dissension and strife and envy and jealousy. And guess what? That is spiritual immaturity. As mature as you may think you are in your individual life, Scriptures gauge our walk with Jesus, not just by our individual lives, but how we operate together. So you could be doing great throughout the week in your personal walk with Christ, and you could be spiritually immature altogether because of how you are walking with other people. That's what it is. It's not just about how I'm doing, but how am I doing with the other people, the believers in the church together, my relationships with the people around me. You may be doing great individually, but if you're causing havoc and chaos in the body of Christ, that is an indicator of spiritual immaturity. So what do we do with that? You might be saying, okay, Wes, you've given me a lot of problems and really no solutions. And before I say, well, figure it out on your own, I'll say this. What do you do? Well, you submit to the guidance of the Spirit kill the flesh every time Paul says in Galatians 5:16 but I say walk by the spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're constantly in step with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, in prayer, in study, in with God's people, considering what God desires of you, then you will continue putting to death the flesh and its desires. As Paul says in Romans 8, 5 through 6, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so, where is your mind tonight? Where's your mind at? Is it on fulfilling your fleshly desires? Or is it on pleasing God by by walking in step with the Spirit? And so these are the divisions that have been created in in the church of Corinth. These are the divisions. And so Paul's got to do something about that. He's got to correct it. And so, this is what Paul is going to do in verses 5 through 9. He will, he's going to correct the misunderstanding of God's servants for the Corinthians. This is the second point, the servants of Christ. God uses his servants to edify the body of Christ for his glory. You ever had that experience with a famous person that maybe you've idolized all your life? And you have their posters on their wall, on your walls in your bedroom, and you got their photographs, and you got all their CDs or all their movies, and and you're just like, ah, kind of like that. Anybody got that person? Nope, just me. Uh, good. So, uh, but then you have that experience with that. So, <laughs> I'll tell you about a time. So, I, I grew up. I'm not condoning. Whenever I bring up a story, I'm not condoning this. But uh, I grew up loving Walker, Texas Ranger, if anybody ever uh, watched Walker, Texas Ranger. And great show. Uh, and uh, he had a sidekick, if you remember, Trevette. Trevette. And I promise, I saw Trevette in the Dallas airport when I was about 13 years old with a pair of rollerblades over his shoulder. Now, nobody believes me because that doesn't feel like it sounds like Trevette from Walker, Texas Ranger at all. But I'm almost certain I saw Trevette. And I was like, now I didn't have the courage to go see him. I didn't have, have you know, I, I wasn't going to go a- ask for a, ask for an autograph. But, but it did open up a world for me. I'm like, hold on, these people are normal. They take planes like us. They rollerblade like us. They, 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 you know, they walk places like people don't like carry them on their backs and you know, you know. When you see that famous person that you've idolized your whole life doing regular things like going to the coffee shop, mowing their yard, getting a haircut or something like that, you know, doing their taxes, whatever, you're like, they're human? Like, you, you just kind of, your eyes are open to that. And what's interesting, this humanizing of idols, this humanizing of people who we hold up to be superhuman, is that this is what Paul wants to do for the Corinthians in verses 5 through 9, is that they put their focus on Paul and on Apollos and on Cephas, and he wants to say this, they are just servants of Christ. Get the picture. Don't make them superhuman. And this this is it. Because all they are is that Paul is pulling back the curtain and saying that Paul and Apollos, They are just servants of God, doing the work of God, proclaiming the Son of God to the church of God for the glory of God. That's all that Paul and Apollos are. So look at this here. Look at this. He says in verse 5, what what then is Apollos? What is Paul? And then he answers the question. They are servants 
through whom you have believed as the Lord has assigned, is that Paul and Apollos are just servants assigned and used by God to bring about faith. This is what Paul says to the Romans in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 5. He says, this is the reason that I've written to you. This is the reason I do what I do. He says this, Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. He's saying, look, God has shown me grace. He's the one who has called me into this ministry. He has given me apostleship and made me one of his apostles. And that the purpose for my ministry, the purpose of my apostleship, is that I would proclaim to all the nations so that they would come to obedience and faith in Jesus Christ. Is that that's all who I am. Gordon Fee says it well. He says this. The emphasis in these verses is on the fact that the Corinthians did not believe in Paul or Apollos, but through them came to believe in him. Is that Paul and Apollos, all they are are instruments used by God to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that they are. And that they have been assigned to that task. And that there is no hierarchy among God's servants. But he says they are co-laborers. Is that he says, you know, I planted, Paul planted, Apollos watered. Is that they're co-laborers together in this same agricultural field, the field being God's people. Is that we all do we all have our certain chores, we all have our certain jobs, and we do this together for the same purpose. Right? And one is not better than the other. The water is not better than the planter, the planter is not better than the water. But we work together as co-laborers, as fellow workers, all for the same purpose to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have their own chores, and one is not more significant than the other. And as it comes to ministry, I think this is one way that we can really reshape our minds when it comes to ministry. Is this a minister is not better than any other minister. A servant is not any better than any other servant because of his job title, because of the size of his church, because of the size of his church budget, because of the, the bigness of his staff, whatever it may be, whatever criteria we use to say, that guy's got it going on. He's successful. He's getting it done for the Lord's kingdom. This guy over here who's He's preaching every week to about 20 people in his little podunk church in Dry Pong, Louisiana. Man, he's failure. He's a failure. God forbid us from ever saying that. God forbid. Is that if they are both preaching the gospel and they are both indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God does not assess their work, the guy who's preaching to 10,000 and the guy who's preaching to 10, as one as better than the other. But they are both co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One is not better than the other. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So the Lord has assigned every minister, every servant of Christ to a specific place, to a specific people, to preach a specific message for a specific time. Remember that. If the man in Drypong preaching a ten is there preaching, it's because God has assigned him there. The man preaching to 10,000 in New York preaching that, it's because he's been assigned there. And that they are co-laborers in this field. But ultimately, not just servants get the glory. You see this here? The servants don't get the glory. At the, at the middle of this passage is that, yes, no matter what they do, the planter, the water, whoever it may be, if God is not involved in the ministry, nothing gets accomplished. If God is not involved in the ministry, nothing gets accomplished. Because he says this, but only God who gives the growth. 
is that ultimately God, not the servant, is the one who is responsible for the growth of his kingdom and should receive all glory. It would be similar to praising the mailman who comes up to your door, hands you a piece of mail, and you say, oh, praise you, mailman. Well, I bow down to you in service and in awe. You are the most awesome and the greatest of all mailmen in the world. And the mailman's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, well, this message that you have given me is awesome. I must follow you. I must worship you. You got the point wrong, right? The mailman delivered it. He didn't send it. The mailman delivered it. He didn't send it. And so you need, we need to praise the sender, not the messenger. Because without the sender, there is no message. And so this morning, I hope that is a reminder for us, is that ultimately whatever happens in the church at Crosspoint or any church in the world that has the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spirit indwelling in them. And this, nothing can happen if God is not involved. No amount of persuasion, no amount of eloquence, no amount of wisdom, no amount of flair, no amount of smoke, no amount of loud music. Nothing. Nothing that we can contrive and come up with will give spiritual growth if God is not involved in that. And ultimately, the author of Hebrews makes this really clear. In Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, as you all know, Moses is a pretty big figure in the Bible, pretty big figure to Jews. And what, what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, he says this, and God housed Moses with the fathers. What? You, you can't say that about Moses. Moses is the leader. He was the leader of the Jews. In the grand scheme of things, Moses is different than John the Baptist. Ministers, servants, they are just servants. They are not idols. They are not stages. They are just servants in God's field, working to build up and grow God's field and God's building. And we read this verse yesterday at our pastor church meeting. I think it's a good reminder for them, and I think it's a good reminder for all of us. Unless the Lord builds the house, it will not stand. We labor Whatever we do first, if God is not involved, we might as very well kind of throw in the towel. We don't need to be involved. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it will fall. So, a couple things bring this together in our hearts as we read the scripture in verses 5 through 9. This is that we need to remember that ministers, people who are called to minister and serve the church, they are to serve and not be self-serving. And here at Crosspoint, we make a really big emphasis that every member is a what? Every member is a minister. So the ministry is not just on the pastor. As Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 tells us that the pastors, uh, the ministers, is they equip the saints for the work of the what? Ministry. The work of the ministry. That's what, that's what pastors do. They equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so... Ministers are to serve. Man, that's to be self-serving, isn't it? Right? Hey, get, get, give to me, give to me, do for me, do for me. No, we, we, we are served and we serve however it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, that sometimes when God gives particular ministers a particular spiritual task, 
to help them grow in their connection with God. That's the purpose of ministries in our church. That ultimately, as ministers, as people who have been called by God to share the gospel, to believe in the gospel, is that we all labor for God, because of God, by the strength of God, and the Spirit of God for the glory of God. That's all of us. That's why we all labor together. We all labor for God because of God, with the strength of God, by the Spirit of God, for the glory of God. And so, with that being said, I think this is a good Sunday to remind ourselves, even as we pray over our pastor, that no matter who we hire, whatever pastor we get from anywhere across the United States, they are going to be a servant. They are not going to be a slave. We already have one who is perfect, who is everything that we need. Minister, minister to me faithfully. And we cannot expect to minister to you. Ministers are to be seen as servants of God and not the church's saviors. God alone saves and sanctifies born in Jesus Christ. God alone. And so if we're, if we're saying, man, we're going we're gonna to hire a guy and he's going to bring us back into the good old days and he, we're going to be busting out these doors and we're going to have 3,000 falling on campus and he's going he's gonna to create this whole worldwide you know, uh, mission and we're going to reach every, every place. dwelling in us and we have everything we need but we pray that we pray that God would send us ministers who is a servant of God and will lead us and direct us to the truth because God's servants are not saviors and that's what Paul is trying to get across to us when he says you've created these divisions and these factions and this disunity because you've made these men Paul Apollos Cephas, you've made them saviors, and you've created these factions and these groups and these cliques around them saying, I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. But ultimately, they are just servants in the household of God, and that God is the one who gets the glory. And so, what Paul ultimately is teaching us is that servants, servants of Christ are not saviors. They are servants of Christ. And thankfully, our Savior came as a servant. Savior came as a servant. As the Gospel of Mark tells us this, in chapter 10, verse 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Is that we have this sacrificial Savior who has served us in our greatest need when we could not serve ourselves. When we were needy and broken and sinful and had nothing to offer, Christ came for us, as Romans 5 says, and he served us by giving and sacrificing his life on our behalf. And he is the greatest servant. And what Isaiah calls him, he is the suffering servant. He goes to the longest and farthest deaths to serve sinners by giving his own life for them. And that for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, repented and turned from their sins of strife, jealousy, envy, division, they now can be servants of Christ Jesus. The servant, the suffering servant, has come to serve those who cannot serve themselves to make them servants of the living Christ. That is beautiful news for us, and that is beautiful news for all of us this morning, for the Christian and for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, for the unbeliever in here this morning, realize 
You are needy and you are broken. And though you may think that you can serve and do everything on your own, you can't. You need to be served. And the only one who can serve you adequately, perfectly, and sufficiently is Jesus Christ who has served you by laying down his life to pay for your sins. And this morning, if you are a Christian, we have the greatest news that should compel us to serve. That we have a suffering servant who has died for our sins. And this morning, that is the good news. We are servants to a suffering servant. And we have a king. And this morning, he saves us. Let's pray. Would you come and come as we sing and trust in your son. He is the only one who can save us in this life and in the next. Let's sing this morning. The good news should compel us to fight against the dark things. To fight against the disease. To fight against the sickness. We have a perfect Savior who has united us in love through the gospel by the Spirit and the Word. Let us pursue peace and harmony in our forgiveness. God, we thank you for this death on the cross. We thank you for the grace that you give us in Jesus that we are sinners because we've tried to serve ourselves. We've tried to do everything. We've tried to sufficiently do everything that we can to make ourselves right before God. But we've gone years and we've tried. And I'm so thankful that the good news says, Christ has come to save us and not to be saved and to give his life for us. We thank you for that. Oh, may this good news compel us to serve. And may we be reminded that there is only one Savior who can save us. And that is Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. And I invite the band up to join us this morning. If you have felt the Spirit working on your heart, if you have felt the tension, if you have felt the draw this morning, I would compel you to come and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Dr. David, Jim, myself would love to speak with you this morning about what this good news means for you, that it truly is good news for you. For every woman, man, boy, and girl sitting in this room and watching online, if you would like to speak with one of us about what the good news is, we would love to speak with you after the service this morning. Please join me as we sing this song.